Well, hello there. It's great to be able to share with you God's Word this morning's service. My name is Rich Owen. I'm the pastor at Worthing Tabernacle. We've got a great relationship, a uh, historic relationship with you guys at Lansing Tabernacle. And so it's just wonderful uh, to be given this opportunity to come and share and minister to you this morning. I hope and pray that this word is a blessing for you. And uh, I pray that uh, we will continue uh, to foster these great relationships that we have together as churches. Uh, I've so appreciated Richard and uh, previously John's ministries over the years. Uh, and it really is a privilege, as I say, to share with you this morning. I'm going to bring you uh, some words from Luke's Gospel, uh, some reflections on that passage hopefully you had um, earlier in this service. Luke chapter 14 from verses 1 through to 11. But first let's ask now for the Lord's help as we come to his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please talk to us now and help us. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once upon a time, there was a young man who would repeatedly bring shame upon his family. In many ways, over many years, he did nothing but disgrace himself and his mother and father and siblings. As an older teenager, he'd be using drugs all the time and finding himself in all kinds of uncompromising situations. At family parties, he'd start to get drunk and jeer at his elderly father and shout out at his loving mother. Then there was the day that his father uh, had a heart attack and was admitted to hospital. And, and, and the young man surprised everybody by turning up at his father's bedside. But before too long, they quickly saw he was completely high. And they noticed some shady characters waiting in the corridor, and he had a prostitute on his arm. His little sister and his uncle tried to gently usher him away from the hospital. Look, Dad doesn't need this right now. He just needs rest. He doesn't need any aggro. But the young man just shouted out across the ward, I don't care if you die! I just want my inheritance. Perhaps the worst occasion was when his little sister once came to visit him. His, his little sister was now really the only person in the family who could uh, communicate with him in any way at all. She came to visit him one day and, and her agenda was that she wanted to try and get him to enrol on a narcotics, an anonymous program, and she would come with him and, and, and they'd be there together. Now, this was all taking place at his squalid little flat and he thought this was hilarious, as did his friends who were there with him. And so he took a little quantity of drugs and he spiked her drink with it. But being a slight young lady who had never used drugs in her life, this dose was way too much for her and she, she collapsed. She went into toxic shock. And in a moment of panic, the, the, the young lad and, his, and his, his cronies, his friends, bundled her into the car and they screeched off down the road and they just tipped her out onto the street. There at A&E, they just dumped her onto the ground, covered in sick 
and shaking with the toxic shock. Mercifully, she survived the incident. But, but that was it. That was the last time anybody from the family could have any contact with him. It was dangerous. He had cut them out of his life. And so now this family had to acknowledge that and say, yes, he's out of our lives too. All the pain, all the hurt that they'd gone through, they couldn't keep that up. Some years later, now in his late 20s, the lad started to manage to get his life back into order. He'd had a stretch in prison and then he was homeless for a while and that just seemed to throw him into a, a, like a reality shock and he started to sort himself out. He'd managed a whole year without drink and without drugs. He got himself a job as a builder's labourer and things started to look up. And one day when he came home from work, he, uh, he, he checked through his post on the doormat and he noticed he got a letter and it was in his little sister's handwriting. He opened it up and lo and behold, it was an invite. She's getting married and she'd sent him the invite. Now, initially he thought, well, they're, they're just being polite. You know, they're just going through the motions. This is, the, this is what they have to do. But then, you know, the reality struck in. They, they'd invited me to the wedding. So the weeks went by, the big day came, he'd, he'd found himself a suit that looked, you know, he looked pretty sharp and uh, he got it all together and, and he turned up at the occasion. And he got there at the wedding reception venue and he realised this was not like any other normal wedding that you and I would know about. This had no seating plan. It was entirely open seating. You could sit wherever you liked. And so, of course, the first thing he does is he scans the room looking for, well, where am I going to sit? He could pick any spot. And he noticed the available seats near his cousins. There they were at a table uh, and with his aunt and uncle, the same uncle that was there at the hospital that day, trying to usher him away from his sickly father. The family there knew about his sins. They knew about his transgressions. And as he walked towards the table and their eyes met, he knew, I can't sit there. Besides, his cousin had had more to do with his little sister who was getting married over the years than he did. They'd shown more love and care and attention and family to her than he ever did. So he chooses, I, I, I can't sit there. I won't sit there. So he scans the room again and he sees an open seat now on the other side of the table. Uh, and this time it's next to his, his other brother. His other brother and his brother's there with his girlfriend and some of the kids that, that were on the street with them when they were growing up. Some of those children, he terrorised their families, smashing their windows, creating all sorts of problems for the neighbours. And he remembered the way he would ring up his brother and he would just abuse him over the phone. And when they fought, it was no play fight. He was really trying to hurt his brother and he thought no I can't sit there quite rightly they they would hate me to be there with them all the pain all of the the difficulty all of the all of the the guilt and shame that that, that, that I feel for everything I've done they rightly don't want me there so he looks on again and of course now he notices the top table with his father and his mother and his sister and her bridegroom there she is, all in white, 
looking beautiful, with a tall and handsome bridegroom next to her, and they look so in love, so happy, so full of joy at the occasion. And his father's there, and then there's a gap, and then there's his mother. But he knows he cannot sit in that place. He doesn't want to spoil his sister's big day. He remembers all his sins. And he thinks there's no way. It didn't even cross his mind. He couldn't possibly sit there. So he has another sweep of the room and he notices right at the back in the corner next to the gents, there's an open table. No one's sitting there. It's only a small table. No one's there. So he thinks, yeah, I'll go sit down over there. So he heads to the back of the room and he takes his seat. And, and then before the, the food has even begun to come out again, he's sitting there in the room and he feels a tap on his shoulders, tap on his shoulder, and he notices someone stood over him. It felt like an age as he slowly lifted his head to see who it was who stood beside him now. And expecting the worst, his fears were realised when he set eyes upon his sister's husband, the bridegroom, and he stood there and he notices his little sister just peering from behind his broad shoulders. The knot in his stomach and the, 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 the depth of the awkward moment is now being felt by everybody in the room that is silent. Everybody is looking to see this situation. This same little sister whom he'd caused to fall into a coma through his irresponsible behaviour. The same little sister that he tipped out onto the pavement, leaving her for dead, was now stood in front of him with her bridegroom on her wedding day. The bridegroom said in a strong, commanding voice that everybody in the room could hear, You don't belong here. You don't belong here. And you could hear a pin drop in the room. Hearts were beating hard, every guest feeling the, the awkwardness of the moment. The magnitude of this man's guilt and shame was apparent to everybody. And now the moment of confrontation had come and the guilt was mounting up. And it was like this huge mountain piling on top of him. Flashback after flashback and shame after shame of everything he'd ever done. You don't belong here. His eyes fill with tears. His head drops and he reaches to grab his jacket. He can't make eye contact and he just says, look, I'm sorry, I know I shouldn't have come. You were just being polite. What was I thinking of even turning up here today? I'm so sorry. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go now. And he puts his jacket under his arm and he steps up and the bridegroom reaches out and touches his shoulder and says, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't belong here. You don't belong here. And the man looks up and stares into the bridegroom's large, liquid eyes, so warm and so welcoming. And he says, your sister and I, we, we forgive you. We forgive you and we love you. We don't think you belong here at this table. And he points in the other direction. 
And the young lad looks along the length of the bridegroom's arm to where he's pointing, and he's pointing at that gap in the top table next to his father, who has now risen to his feet with tears running down his happy apple cheeks, with his arms out wide, as if to say, son, come home. And the bridegroom says to the man, you belong here. You belong here. Now, in our Bible reading this morning, that Jesus isn't teaching the Pharisees about social etiquette. <laughs> He's not saying that take the best seat at the front so that, you know, when the host comes in, he'll just demote you to the back and that'd be really awkward. So to get around that awkward moment, the thing you need to do is always sit at the back and then you'll be promoted and, and, and that's how it should work. And everyone will look at you and think, oh, what a humble guy. This isn't some exercise in fake humility, a farcical routine to go through in order to have everyone sort of go, oh yes, well done, you know how to do it. You're this holy man. That's not what Jesus is teaching about here at all. Rather, Jesus is, is telling the Pharisees, and he's telling everyone there, and he's telling us today how we should view ourselves and our standing before God, and how we're held to account for our own sins. Jesus is saying, look, this is what you're like. And Jesus is teaching them, this is how God will treat those who recognize the great depth of their sin and their shame and realize how undeserving and how wicked they are. And this is how the Son of God, the bridegroom, will show them mercy. That's the point here. So friends, Lansing Tabernacle, how should you think of yourselves today? What place do you deserve in the kingdom? If you're a Christian already watching this, or even if you're not actually, how do you think of yourself? How do you view yourself and your sin? Well, this passage is teaching us today that you actually deserve that lowliest of places, the lowest place, far away from the glory of the top table. That's where you should be. That is your place. Through your sins, you've brought shame onto yourself and onto your family, your double life. The gossip, the mistrust, the lust, the lies, the shortcuts at work, whatever it is, you've brought the name of Christ into disrepute. Maybe it's self-righteousness, a, a judgmental attitude, critical, cutting comments that you make. It brings shame and pain to your church family, the family of God. And you've caused this pain and this unimaginable suffering in the lives of others in ways you've never fully understood. Your anger, your bitterness, the way that you think that you alone know how it's working and, and what we should do as a church. It's damaging your brothers and sisters in Christ. Your laziness and unwillingness to get involved and engage deeply and read a breadth of biblical material to be corrected, to be taught. All of this shows that you despise your Father in heaven. Your sin was not just, you see, to leave someone to die. Your sin was that you put someone to death, do you see? 
Through your sins, through your attitudes and your behaviours, you pierced the hands and feet of the bridegroom of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. You drained the life from his veins. You were the toxic poison that came into his life. And you stood there among the mockers because of your sin. Do you know that? Do you realise that? It is true. And it's not just that you don't deserve the seat at the top table alongside God and his Christ at the right hand. It's not that you don't deserve this this seat among the angels and the saints in heaven. Those people that you think have led respectable, good and godly lives and honourable. No, like every person, every person in this world who has ever lived, myself included, you deserve the lowest place. You deserve the place of judgment and shame and condemnation. The seat that marks you out as someone who is only worthy of death and hell as the glory of God shines miles away from you. That's what Jesus is telling the Pharisees here and you when he said, don't sit down at that top spot. That's not where you belong. This is what he means. Now, if Jesus finished the story there, that would be a terrible story. But like the man in my story, Jesus, well, uh, uh, he's the bridegroom. And as the man is picking up his coat to leave and cowering beneath the presence of this mighty bridegroom, well, Jesus isn't finished. The story doesn't end there either. Jesus says to take that lowly seat. And so when he comes, he can say, friend, move higher up. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all who sit at the table. And so Jesus, with those words, is saying to you, he's saying to the Pharisees, he's saying to me, That as you move up, it's not that you receive the honour and approval of those in the room who watch you move up. It's that you're receiving the honour and approval of God in the assembly of people. Because this is what he came into the world to do. He came into the world to make himself low, to take the lowest place for you. Even though Christ by nature deserves the top table, the right hand of the Father. Even though as sinners we deserve the place completely outside of the glory and honour of God, the outer darkness. Nevertheless, Christ made himself lowly for us. The one who was robed in uncreated light for all eternity. He came and robed himself in our frail flesh, taking the place of sinners, being born amongst us, receiving the scorn and shame of this world. And yet living a perfect life, a blessed life where goodness flowed out and affected everybody everywhere he went so that he could come to us in that place of shame and lowliness. Jesus, strong and kind, the bridegroom of heaven, he could come to us and make us his own and say, come and take the table, come and take the top place with me. So as Jesus tells this parable to those Pharisees that day, it was part of that long and painful walk that he was making from the top table down to the lowest place. The place the Father sent him to be. The place where he would find us, where we deserve to be. And he walks down to that place of shame, though Herod mocked him. Though soldiers scourged him, though the crowds rejected him and shouted for his death, he fought his way through to that 
low place where your sins pierced him and held him there, where your bitterness and your lust and anger and criticisms and judgmentalism and mistrust, they cut into his body on the cross. When you tipped your sister into the pavement and left her good as dead, smeared with sick. The bridegroom comes to that lowest of low place in your life, the place of rejection and condemnation, and there he takes his seat, the judgment seat for you, with you. And he cries out on that cross for you. If you trust in him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as he cries out those words, he's saying to you, if you trust him, that he has sat in your seat, in your place, the place which is cut off from the glory, the place which is far away, the place which is not where he deserves to be, the place of shame and rejection. And when he cries out again, it is finished. And that last ragged breath leaves his lungs. He's saying that the hour of condemnation at this low place is over. It's done. That means your condemnation and your hour of shame, your mountain of shame that you feel where every eye on the room you think is on you for what you've done. On Good Friday, Jesus comes and sits in that place of shame. But then on Easter Sunday, he bursts up from the tomb and he taps you on the shoulder and proclaims to you, friend, your place is now up here at the top table. You who hear his voice today, he says to you, you don't belong here. You belong there in the place of honor, the place of glory. He said this because he's forgiven your sins, because he's dealt with it. Now move up higher, friend. Don't stay there. That's not where you belong. That's not your life now. That's not who you are. Your place is, is beside my father in glory now. So friends, no matter what your sin and no matter what your shame is today, if you trust in Jesus, you must know that there is forgiveness. Jesus Christ offers forgiveness and he offers salvation to all who come to him and believe in his name. No matter how you might feel today. In fact, actually, the more you feel, I could never be there. I could never find my place in a church. I could never sit among those people. Think of all the shame. Think of all the things I've done. Actually, that especially you then. Jesus is there offering this place, offering this life, offering this salvation with arms outstretched to the world. He offers forgiveness. He offers new life. He offers glory with his father forever and ever in a place and a family where your sin is washed away, where he remembers it no more. And you're cleansed and the burden of your guilt and shame is lifted from you and you are set free. So today, if you hear his voice, if you come to him, it is yours. Do not harden your heart, but listen to the voice of Jesus today and come to him. Amen. God bless you. Bye-bye.